Good morning, folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan, reporting live for duty on this magnificent June 28th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. Rubber chicken blowjob. <laughs> Top of the morning to you, folks. It's like actually like 10.01 in the a.m. Eastern Standard Time, June 28th, 2020. A little early in the morning for a rubber chicken blowjob. Rather a little late in the morning, you know? You'd be up to crack of dawn for that, you know? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Neither here nor there. Anyways, folks, if you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, this is a show where I bitch, whine, bellyache, squawk, beak, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. You know what I mean? Um, And if you're enjoying the show... If you're an avid listener, an avid viewer, please, please share me with a friend, you know, help my black ass out, you know, I don't want to be languishing out here in the cold forever, you know, I want to, you know, get my sack out there into the atmosphere. I want to shoot out into the outer strata of show business, folks. So please share me with a friend for crying out loud. Help my black ass out, you know, um, you can connect with me on my website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. You know, I'm available on multiple platforms, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, you know. So please, share me with a friend. Oh, I, you know, I don't know about you, but if you fuck a rubber chicken, it builds up quite a sweat. It's hot. It's hot. Anyway. This is some fucking major, major summertime heat going on. June 28th, Canada, Toronto. Beautiful sunny day ahead. Beautiful opportunity to... Beautiful opportunity to sit here and podcast with y'all folks. Very blessed to do so. All right. All right. Clean up on aisle two now that I'm mopped up. Let's get into it. So, if you are new to the show, Jonathan Ramtra and the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts. That's been to the bone, ladies and gentlemen. Damn proud about it. Are my tits, are my fucking tits sweating? Uh, mop that up. Yeah, 19 years of service, diploma in theater arts, thespian to the bone. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot, you know, COVID-19, pandemic 2020, a lot of industry at a standstill, you know, lurching, lurching back and forward. Do we open? Do we reopen? Do we open? Do we reopen? Open, close, open, close, you know? So it's like, you know, a lot of this jerking kind of uncertainty, 
in industry in general. And it has me thinking about my career and moving forward. Um, one thing that has come to mind is the idea of, you know, supply and demand. Basic economics, right? Economics, basic economy shit, you know, supply and demand. And the very interesting about, the very interesting thing about um, performing is that, you know, there's never quite a demand for it, but there's always a supply. You know, there's never quite a demand for actors, demand for entertainment, but there's always a supply. There's always somebody out there uh, trying to shoot for the stars, you know, catch a hold of that fucking star and ride it into the, you know, wonderland, Hollywood, you know. And while there isn't quite the demand for the performer, I do believe there is a need. There's always a need, you know. It's just a very attractive career. People are attracted to it for many different reasons. Some are earnest in their approach, um, you know. They have a talent. They have a need to entertain. They have something that they want to express and share with the world, a story that they want to showcase, Others are in search of fame, fortune, power, you know? I mean, that's just what it is. If you are of my mindset, if you have the same mindset of myself, I'm more into like an authentic sort of entertainer, somebody who does it for the love while being aware of, you know, basic economics, supply and demand, you know? So it's like, okay, yeah, there might not be a demand for every sort of performer, but there's definitely a need. And if you can balance that in your performing world, and if you can balance that in your performer life and find how to make yourself um, needed, you know, find how to make yourself, you know, well-received by others, you know, to be a gracious guest, so to speak, you know? I think that's the challenge of any performer, you know what I mean? I would say that the basic game of performing is like basically 50% talent, 50% salesmanship. You got to get the contract, right? It's not always easy. So I've been thinking about that during pandemic. And, you know, I'm stepping up my ambitions. I'm taking more risks. Um, you know, I'm putting myself out there. I have currently been penning a project of my own, you know, to be penned, produced, and performed by yours truly, Jonathan Ramtran of Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast. That's coming down the pipe very soon. Um, if all goes well, and, you know, there ain't no reason why it shouldn't, as long as I keep my foot on the gas, I should have something to show to you guys fairly soon. And um, it's something that will be fresh for the podcast and hopefully something to, you know, sort of like a business card, sort of like a uh, an extra tool in the hunt, you know, you know, I'm like a fucking tiger out there trying to chase down a fucking penguin, you know, just to get my ass on that stage, on that screen, right? So hopefully it's another tool for me in the hunt for showbiz. Hallelujah.
So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. You know? Them bright lights be on a motherfucker too, right? Lights are on me, sweating. It's hot. It's a little hot. You know? That's called inflection, you know? When you say a word in a certain way to give it a bit of a bite, you know? It's hot. That's something that is like very subtle and under the radar, but something that is very useful as a tool in the performing world. Like, think about it. There's probably a lot of cases where you've watched a film, you've listened to a radio mystery, a podcast, a vodcast, so to speak, and there's something in the host, there's something in the actor there's something in the performer that um, you gravitate towards and maybe you don't know what it is other than you like it and you don't really think much about it, but it's, you know, much of what happens in the performing world, uh, you know, if you're on your P's and Q's, it's by design, it's by talent, you know, it's by consideration. And that's one of the tools, inflection, you know what I mean? It's hot. You know, when I when I hear that, I think of like I've seen many movies where there's like an elderly gentleman, a southern older gentleman, and he's, you know, he's sitting on the porch, and you know, he's having himself a mint julep, and I'm telling you, Seymour, it's hot, it's hot, and you know, something something so seemingly small, but yet it really speaks. Anyways, that's some actor fucking insight for you. Take it how you want it. Oh, hell, I don't know. It's not like I won an Oscar or anything, but I do have eyes and I do have ears, you know. I do have a certain taste in um, the performing world. Do have some, I do have some experience, you know. I was born at night, but not last night. I have been around for a minute. I know a thing or two about inflection, taste, design, Talent. It's hot. Sorry about that. I'm just a little, I don't know, a little testy. It's just too hot. Subsequently, um, as I am an actor, working my way uh, up the showbiz ladder, one rung at a time, one measly, slippery, slimy rung at a time, Coincidentally, I'm also a janitor extraordinaire, you know? I push a little mop bucket, you know? I dip the mop in the mop water. Then I mop the floor. You know? I uh, wash windows. You know? I push a garbage trolley. You know? I vacuum floors, you know, God made dirt and dirt don't hurt, God made dirt and dirt bust your ass, I'm a motherfucking janitor, and um, as I spoke on the last, on the last podcast, um, there is a preconceived notion, I think like a romanticism 
around the idea of the starving artist, you know, one who toils in obscurity for years, ravaged by addiction, the fatal blows of life, the callous, uncaring, cold winds of misfortune. You know, it's, it's a bunch of hogwash, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, do you have a talent? Do you have a, willing, do you have a willingness to learn the skill, you know? Do you have a basic amount of talent? Are you willing to work at what you do? And are you going to go out there and try to get a, and try to get work? Like really try, you know? Everybody has that romanticized notion, you know, oh, he's a starving artist. He slept on couches. You know, he lived in cars. He, you know, scrambled and scringed and begged and borrowed and lived hand to mouth and panhandled all to become a famous actor one day. It's a bunch of hogwash. You know what I mean? People look at you as a parasite, a pathetic, low-life loser, rotten, shiftless, crummy, good for nothing. You know? They resent you. You know what I mean? How long can you indefinitely live on somebody's couch before they're like, grow up, get a job, you fucking hack? It's not a good look. And as I mentioned, you know, the idea of supply and demand. You know, there's no demand for the performer, but it's needed in society and there's room for you if you work at it, right? So, you know, all that in mind is why I am a janitor. No, it's not like I exactly like plunging a toilet, you know. Ah, for fuck's sake. You boomba your ass clot. like I like plunging a toilet for fucking pennies an hour you know what I mean some pitiful some pitiful rate rate payment I'm actually well compensated actually it's actually a decent job but it's not like I want to do it you know what I mean and that's the sacrifice and compromise you know what it does do is it gives me a competitive wage it Keeps the lights on. It keeps a roof over my head, food in my belly, you know, shirt on my back, you know. Um, I'm able to produce my show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, you know. It requires equipment. It requires um, studio space. It requires internet access. My job pays for that, you know. The projects that I have lined up coming down the line, my job pays for that. And it's like working smarter not harder. And why it's so important is that, you know, performing is what fuels me. And where this is relatable across industry is, I hope for you, dear listener, dear viewer, that you do what works for you, you know? Um, That's what works for me, being a performer. That's what motivates me. Being a performer. And I hope you do the same for yourself because it's like, it's not all a bowl of fucking roses, if that it makes any sense. It's not all a, a vase of roses. It's not all a bowl of cherries, you know? Sometimes there's the pits, you know? Like as a janitor, unfortunately, as good as the job is, it's like a, it's a, it's a union job. 
Um, I'm working as an essential worker at the moment during COVID-19. It's, it's kept me fed with my bills paid. Like I'm fortunate for it. I'm very grateful for it. But, you know, in the pursuit of doing what works for you, what you want to be in that pursuit, you start to see in life that there's so many unfulfilled, miserable people. And in my opinion, what you want to do is to, you know, stay focused on your um, goals, put forth the best amount of like good vibes, like put out a good vibe, try to be as good as you can to your fellow human being. But you got to block it out, man. Like case in point, as as I am a janitor, how I came to this job was simply I was a temporary worker, right? I was a temporary worker. They had called my agency to request a temporary worker. They saw my work ethic. They liked me. Then they hired me. That's how I became a janitor at this particular location. But in the course of time, I've been there for like a year and a half, um, I started to recognize, oh, there's like some kind of hierarchy, hierarchical struggle within the building, you know? It's all about keeping up with the Joneses, status. People have so many strange egos and issues. People talking at each other, talking down to each other. The reverence certain people feel that they need to be held by. The, um, the low-down way in which they look down at people that they, that they deem less than themselves. You know what I mean? And there's so much struggle amongst just different departments... You know, not to mention the own struggle within our own department. Because if you're new to the show, um, I've spoken on these type of matters many a times. I, I talk about how just unfortunately we live in a world that is motivated by self-interest, cynicism. So where this is a relatable point is I'm sure there's a lot of you out there. You go to work every day. You feel like you're doing your job. You feel like you're minding your own business. Yet there's somebody poking at you, you know, bothering you, getting up in your shit, criticisms, complaints, you know, requests, right? There's tons of that as a janitor. I just try to block it out and remember that I was chosen to work there. I was recruited to work there. I have a good rapport with my supervisor and my manager. So any criticism is coming out of somebody's mouth who is delusional, egotistical. You know, it's like, how self-important are you to think that you are my boss? You're not my boss. It would be a completely different thing if I was sitting here saying, I can't stand my supervisor. I can't stand my boss. They're always criticizing me and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I get along great with my manager and my boss. Why? Because I understand and I respect that they're my supervisor and they're my boss. They give me an order. I fulfill the order. But I'm not just going to take orders from any random Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, Cat in the Hat, fucking dummy dilettante dipshit. Any swinging dick that just wants to pop up and give me an order. Give me an instruction. It's like drop dead and die. Suck my dick. Choke on it. You, 
You know, go fuck yourself. Get out of my fucking face, you bumba clot. You know, slap the taste out your fucking mouth. You know? It's not always easy being a thespian, you know? Sometimes you have to fight, you know? You know, just because I'm a thespian, actor, extraordinaire, doesn't mean I'm going to take shit from any swinging dick, you know what I mean? But, you know, I think that's the relatability across industry people can share because it's like, you know, there is a sense of ego, self-importance, arrogance. In the general world view, people, unfortunately, they're so short-sighted that in order for them to feel good about themselves, they have to look down upon somebody else. You know, they can't just internally feel good about themselves and their life and what they're doing. It's not enough. They're empty. There's nothing there. They're a shell, you know? I know the quickest way to feel better. I'm going to shit on somebody else. And that's what their stupid childlike brains do. So there was a real ugly kind of power balance kind of culture in the workplace when I took the job as a janitor, you know, like uh, about a year and a half ago. And it served my purpose. Like I just kind of blocked it out. I've been producing, I was producing my own stand-up comedy show, you know, Our Righteous Mike. Um, I was financing just my daily upkeep, my life, you know, my bills, um, the podcast. So everything has been in my favor, but, you know, I'm also well aware that I need to transition out, you know. I need to transition onto something different, something new. And what really brought that into focus, I mean, it's it's always been there. It's just that the urgency hasn't always been so immediate, you know. I was just really focused on producing my comedy shows, doing the podcast, seeking work as an actor that, okay, so what? I have some stupid little um, day job, whatever. Like, I don't even think about it. Like, I don't even consider my day beginning until I leave work for the day. Like once I hang up that janitor smock, once I hang up my janitor smock for the day, I consider I consider my day really beginning. That's when I start my hustle as a performer, right? But anyways, um, what brought this all into focus, the immediacy and the urgency of um, transitioning out from these jobs that don't work for me and if you can relate to this that the you know the need to transition out of a situation that just doesn't work for you and what your needs are and what your desires are like like i mentioned there's a lot of poisonous negativity in this place caused by a lot of you know unfulfilled people all i can really do is try to be a good example and watch my temper that's all i can really do but um sometimes you got to know when you're on a sinking ship you know like as i mentioned there's all these there's a lot of poison and negativity in the workplace but it's even within our own department like co-worker to co-worker case in point um i don't know about two weeks ago I was walking into the staff room, you know, the janitor closet. (laughs) I was walking into the janitor cubby, the janitor den. I was walking into the the staff room. 
And during COVID-19, our union sent us these pins, these little like pins. We're supposed to wear them on our name tag or on our shirt. These pins that say six, six foot distance rule, please social distance. Just a little pin that our union and that our employer asked us to wear. Well, our manager, it's her job to, you know, relay that information. Obviously, she's the manager. She's the boss. So as I'm walking into the staff room, our manager, she asks another employee. She goes, oh, hey, so-and-so, did you get your pin? You're supposed to wear your pin, the six-foot distance rule pin. He's like this angry gay Hispanic guy, right? He's like, you know, um, I was wearing the pin, but um, you weren't here to check on it. You weren't here to see me wear the pin. I have been wearing the pin, but you didn't see me wear the pin. And she's like, I'm just asking. Well, I was wearing the pin. I was wearing the pin, okay? And it's like this real awkward exchange. She's just like, I, I was just asking, did you wear the pin? If you're going to wear the... I was wearing the pin. If I didn't or I did, if I didn't or did wear the pin... Well, it's a bunch of fucking hogwash, right? They're bitch whining, squawking, and cabellyaking about whether or not they, he wore the pin or not. And it's like, well, these are coworkers, you know? This is the atmosphere this is the mindset of the people that I call my co-workers. They just argue over nonsense. She's the manager. She's asking you if you are doing the protocol of the job. Why can't you just answer yes or no? What's with all this attitude? What's with all this stupidity? And it's like, I don't want to be around that. If you can relate to that, where it's just like, I'm just so sick of being around stupid, unfulfilled people. And that's what you get when you, when you're, when you do jobs that are unfortunately as essential as they are, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are unfulfilled as well. And that's also another issue. Like, you know, they had to like up the payment of a lot of, um, you know, hourly worker, essential workers during COVID-19, you know, a lot of cashiers, a lot of, you know, service industry jobs that are considered essential. One of the incentives were higher pay rates. And, you know, that might be on the chopping block as things are, you know, set to reopen. And, you know, just that ugly sense of unfulfillment and that's what you're dealing with when you know you're not working for you for yourself for your better interests you're working a job just to survive and there ain't nothing wrong with that but in the long term you know what i mean the fight has to be for self-sovereignty that the fight has to be for self-realization what what gives you excitement and innovation 
and integrity in a day's work. So, you know, I'm just going to try to block it out, keep going forward, be grateful to be an essential worker during COVID-19. And, you know, until I get to that place, I'm just going to keep pushing my mop bucket, you know, mopping floors, you know, washing windows, you know, pushing that garbage trolley, you know, vacuuming. And if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan. Janitor extraordinaire. Janitor extraordinaire. Yeah. Grabbing a sip of coffee. Don't mind me, folks. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. 11 plus years of service. Um, you know, the jokes are coming, you know, I've been noticing like, um, I don't know, whatever you do, there's a certain, um, I don't know, a certain mental presence that I'm sure, uh, is relatable. You know what I mean? Like, let's say you're a, uh, you know, I don't know, let's say you're a tradesperson of some sort, you know, a very essential job. I'm sure there's a certain awareness of mind that, when you're looking at situations, the ideas start coming. Oh yeah, I can, I can do this project this way, and I can think outside of the box. And you know, maybe I can, you know, jerry rig this here, and you know, against regulation, trim this here, or whatever. You know, and you know, you can fuck with things and showcase that creativity, showcase that talent. You know, and safety first. Um, you know. Be involved with what you do. Be present, right? So that's what I'm feeling right now, you know? It's been kind of tough. It's been kind of testing as a performer, stand-up comedian in particular, because, you know, that's such a job relate, reliable on, um, you know, contact, you know? Comedy shows work the best in, you know, dense, low-ceiling settings. The intimacy, the intimacy of a show, right? So obviously during pandemic, COVID-19, people have been taking a beating, the industry, but things are reopening. And, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I don't foresee anything <laughs> in my world uh, uh, immediately. But um, the creativity is back, the writing's back. Um, I'm finding my mind being sparked, you know, like just the compulsion to create. So, you know, getting out the pen, getting out the notepad, jotting down them ideas, keeping focused, goal-oriented, goal-oriental, goal-oriented, and, um, you know, just riding with that. And um, I look forward to the opportunity to really get back at it because you know it's so so easy to take things for granted you know and I guess absence makes the heart grow fonder or resentful or you just go get a hooker but you know or in this day and age sex worker 
And, uh, you know, but absence makes the heart grow fonder. And, um, you know, I'm just chomping at the bit. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm raring to go, you know. I'm like a bucking bronco. I want to get them fucking, I want to get my ass up and hurrah. And, um, you know, I'm feeling very fond. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Yeah, and that's pretty much my uh, little world, so to speak. Uh, what's going on with me during these times? Um, let's get into some news stories. Now, it's been a minute since I spoke on the, uh, you know, the figures, the figures, the facts, um, the situation, COVID-19. You know, it's a bunch of hogwash to an extent. We're no closer. We're no. We're no closer to knowing how it originated, if it's going away, what it is, what the whole overall meaning of the situation is. It's still very, you know, open to interpretation. Uh, six months into it, right? What is it? Uh, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. Yeah, like pretty much around six, seven months in. Right? Let me do the math on that again. Let me get my fingers out. Get the fingers out. December, January, February, March, April, May, June. Yeah, right? Something like that. So here's the facts. According to wikipedia.com, the COVID-19 pandemic, also known as the coronavirus pandemic, is an ongoing global pandemic of coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19 caused by severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 SARS-CoV-2 The outbreak was first identified in Wuhan, China in December 2019. The World Health Organization declared an outbreak, a public health emergency of international concern on January 30th, 2020, and a pandemic on March 11th. As of June 28, 2020, more than 10 million cases of COVID-19 have been reported in more than 188 countries and territories, resulting in more than um, 400,900, no, 40, ah, fuck me, running, I'm dumb. What is it? 499,000, that's 499,000? Yeah, 499,000 deaths. More than 5.06 million people have recovered. Yeah, so 499,000 deaths and 5.06 million people have recovered. Yeah, so that's kind of the situation there. Nothing new, nothing to write home about, nothing to ring the alarm about. I guess... um, one big thing in the in the news because for some reason maybe it's that I'm in Canada but it's like it seems like America overshadows everything because like you know you briefly scroll through the news of the day what's considered news newsworthy and it's all about US Donald Trump Donald Trump love him or hate him you know it's So one of the big stories is like, you know, the mishandling of the situation by President 
fake news, Wuhan bat pussy, drink bleach, inject yourself with cleaning products. It's going to be okay. Get plenty of sunlight. You know? You know, DJ Don J. Trump, you know, it's Donald Trump. It's, It's like the overshadowing of that whole American situation. It's getting kind of... I don't know what it is. It's it's getting kind of just... You're just sick of hearing about it. At least in my opinion. I'm just like, oh my God, enough with this guy. Enough with the... Enough with the sensationalization of this fucking dumbass. You know what I mean? But it's just like front and center from, I guess, like a Western perspective. But anyways, one of the big stories is like um, the mishandling of the whole COVID-19 situation. And is Donald Trump, um, you know, what that will mean for the upcoming um, presidential election 2020? You know, I believe in the fall, November, something like that, right? So, um, hmm. America is experiencing an uptick in cases due to the reopening, due to some of the lack of leadership, arguably, by President uh, Trump. So here in Canada, you know, like, for example, in, in, in Ontario, Canada, where I hail out of, where I hail out of Ontario, Canada, um, the emergency measures um, have been uh, prolonged. Um, we are officially under a state of, you know, emergency measures, quarantine, limited access to various uh, social situations. We're under these emergency measures up until, I believe, July 10th. The measures were to be lifted like on June 10th or June 31st. Now we're going on until... Uh, July 10th. Yeah, so... Hmm. I don't know, man. I really don't know. It's not entirely... It's not entirely certain. You know, it's not entirely far-fetched that this might... This might not all prove to be just a fucking smoke and mirrors, boondoggle, fucking straw man, fucking fucking red herring like who fuck knows what any of this is you know and it it affects you know generally speaking it affects the elderly and the severely ill or the the already ill like any fucking sickness would like who else would you expect to be afflicted by a sickness you know obviously unfortunately but just that's the that's the uncertainty of life but People in ill health and the, and people who are elderly. Duh. Who else would an illness affect? But it's like, you know, it's it's been just turned up and sensationalized that it's still not far-fetched, in my opinion, that this might all not just turn out to be a red herring, you know, uh, a smoke and mirror. Uh, basically some sort of 
divergent divergence in social and social attention the divergence of social attention away from whatever the underlying issue is you know i've been talking that from day one i mean back in uh like for example they say the uptick 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 and how it exponentially increases and diddly dum and diddly do the diddly da the diddly da for all their fucking fear on that matter how come there's no other information to what it is where it came from what it all means yet it's exponentially getting worse how do we even know that's true what just cuz some dickhead fucking scientifical dildo fucking said so that means that you know a fucking generation of people should be you know lacking in their education and their their right to um you know experience themselves you know what i mean this is put the kibosh on the experience of the self you know it's like fuck you listen to the government <laughs> but i mean i i really don't know man i really don't know i've been singing this song since fucking day 1 pretty much like mm. go back in the lexicon of Jonathan Ramtree on the podcast like i think somewhere like february or march i was going on about covid-19 um conspiracies you know was it biologically engineered by china was it biologically engineered by the united states you know is this something to do with the middle east is it you know some environmental conspiracy what the fuck is it what's this all about Anyways, hit me up jr.thepodcast@gmail.com. How do you feel about the situation? You know? That's enough for now. All right. Unfortunately, more um sad news during this time of pandemic, anti-racism protests, you know, 2020. In regards to Brianna Taylor, the young black woman shot in her bed by a SWAT police team with an unannounced knock. You know, they just barged into her door and shot the fucking place up. Would it have killed you? Hello, it's the police. We're thinking about killing you. Like, can't you at least give a heads up? Well, unfortunately, there's more pain and turmoil in that regard. Um, here's a news article. This is from CBC .ca One person fatally shot at Brianna Taylor protest in Kentucky. Video posted online appears to show a man opening fire into a park as people scramble for cover. Authorities were investigating a fatal shooting Saturday night at a park in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, where demonstrators had gathered to protest the death of Brianna Taylor. Reports of shots fired at Jefferson Square Park came in around 9 p.m. local time, Louisville Metro Police said in a statement, following by calls 
followed by calls that the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department was performing life-saving measures on a male who died at the scene. Shortly after, police were told of a shooting victim across the street at the Hall of Justice. That person was hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. Video posted on social media appeared to show a man opening fire into the park as people scrambled for cover. The footage later showed at least one person bleeding profusely on the ground. Officers cleared the park and police are trying to gather as much information as possible in order to identify all who are involved in the incident. The statement said, No information about arrests, possible suspects, and the victims' identities and ages has immediately been released. Officials did not immediately release additional information. Yes, so that's the basic information on the situation. Um, no release to the as to the victims or the uh, the shooter, but you know one person shot dead, and another person with um, I guess non life threatening injuries, but was shot as well. Yeah. This whole anti-racism protests, this whole situation is so tragic because it just like it spawns more and more and more. And this was a peaceful protest. They were peacefully protesting um, outside this government, uh, outside the steps of City Hall, I believe it was. Um, no, at a park. Saturday night at a park in downtown Louisville. Yeah. Jefferson Square Park. And... Um, it was peaceful, and this person, for whatever reason, opened fire, killing a person, a man, and injuring another person. And this whole climate of tension, fear, anger, aggression, fear, anger, and aggression, it's just insidious, insidious. In regards to that, something here in Canada, something similar along the lines, but was present before the real anti-racism protest movement. This has been an ongoing story that I actually spoke about um, a few, ep I mean, several episodes ago. I don't remember when, but I, I had spoke about this. Um, this is a story involving a young black man here in Toronto, Canada, DeFonte Miller. So this is an article from torontosun.com. DeFonte Miller finds hope in off-duty cop's assault conviction. DeFonte Miller saw the off-duty cop who beat him mercilessly and cost him his left eye convicted only of assault and not the more serious charge of aggravated assault. Many were disappointed that Toronto Police Constable Michael Thoreau will now face a maximum five-year sentence and not ten. Yet the young black man took the judge's verdict as a win on Friday. More than three years ago, as his eyeball hung from his eye, his wrist broken, facial bones fractured, Miller was, one, Miller was the one facing serious charges and looking at jail time. 
Now he's the free man and the white police officer who almost got away with the horrific beating and a bogus arrest is being held accountable. I don't feel like I took a loss, Miller, Miller told a press conference. A lot of my brothers and sisters are going through similar situations, like me, and people are dying and officers are walking. So I don't feel like we took a loss. I feel like we took a step forward, he added. In a judgment that lasted more than four hours and was broadcast online to more than 19,000 viewers, Ontario Supreme Court, Ontario, Ontario Superior Court, Justice Joseph DiLuca, found that while the initial beating may have been in self-defense, the injured 19-year-old was in retreat when Michael Thoreau, Thoreau struck him in the face with a metal pipe as he stood banging on a door begging for help. But since the judge found Miller's horrific eye injury was caused during the initial part of the fight with Michael Thoreau, had a razor-thin justification of self-defense. The officer was not guilty of the more serious charge of aggravated assault. His civilian brother, Christian Thoreau, was acquitted on the aggravated assault charge, and both brothers were found not guilty of obstructing justice. The judge recognized I was running for my life from people who were trying to harm me, not arrest me, Miller said in an earlier statement. Officer Thoreau abused his authority and needs to be held accountable. Michael Thoreau remains free on bail and is currently suspended with pay. Miller's beating on December 28, 2016 and accusations of a cover-up by both Toronto and Durham police to protect one of their own became a symbol of many of the anti-black racism. This case has attracted significant public and media interest, the judge acknowledged before delivering his ruling. However, my task is not to be swayed or influenced by the attention given to this case. My task is not to deliver the verdict that is most clamored for. Trials are based on evidence and not public opinion, he continued. My task is also not to conduct a public inquiry into matters involving race and policing. But Di Luca said he was also mindful of the need to carefully consider the racialized context within which the case, this case arises. The Thoreau's said they caught Miller stealing from their parents' truck and feared for their lives when he assaulted them as they tried to apprehend him. Despite his denial, the judge, the judge believed Miller was indeed car hopping with his friends in Whitby that night. But considering what racialized individuals face in society, Diluca said it was understandable that a young black male distrustful of police and under arrest would deny the petty theft. Pilfering, from, pilfering some loose change and a pair of sunglasses hardly justified the brutal beating that followed. The brothers gave chase to capture Miller and arrest him, they claimed, but the judge noted it made no sense that Michael Thoreau never identified himself as a police officer or, wor or warned the suspect he was under arrest. I am satisfied that Michael Thoreau's initial intent was not to conduct an arrest, Diluca concluded. It was likely to capture Mr. Miller and assault him. 
The brothers insisted it was Miller who introduced the four-foot metal pipe into their struggle. Even if he had, the judge found he was swiftly disarmed and the fight quickly became one-sided. It sounds as if he was reluctantly left with reasonable doubt that the Thoreaus were against, were acting in self-defense at that point. The defendants were probably not acting in self-defense at this stage, and by the end of this portion of the incident, the self-defense justification would have been razor thin. By this stage, by that stage, they were probably just beating on Mr. Miller. Probability, however, is not the test for a criminal case. He would find no excuse of self-defense when Miller broke free and ran for help to James Silverthrone's front door. By the point, by this point, his eye had already been injured by one of the many fierce punches, the judge said. As Miller looked back, Michael Thoreau struck him in the face with a pipe and continued hitting him as he moved to surrender. That was assault, Diluca said. He is in retreat, he is heading to the door to seek assistance, and he is badly injured. The already razor-thin self-justification, self-defense justification, evaporates at this stage. Yet Miller would be the one arrested for the assault. His charges were only withdrawn after his lawyer, Julian Falconer, went to the Special Investigations Unit, which had not been notified by either Toronto or Durham Police Service. I could easily have been convicted of all those charges, Miller told reporters after the verdict. While many don't believe justice was done, the man who was blinded in one eye sees far clearer. From the outside looking in, it might seem a little hopeless, Miller admitted, but from the inside looking out, there is hope for us. There is definitely hope. In the words of DeFonte Miller, uh, the young brother uh, attacked in this fucking incident. From the outside looking in, it might seem a little hopeless, Miller admitted. But from the inside looking out, there is hope for this. For us. There is definitely hope. Hmm. So here's my takeaway from all that. You know, a young man, young black man, DeFonte Miller, apparently breaks into... Um, Michael Thoreau and Christian Thoreau's parents' F-150 truck. He breaks into their parents' truck, DeFonte Miller. The Thoreau brothers come out, chase him down, beat him, beat him severely. DeFonte scrambles away, retreating. At this point, his eyes hanging out of his socket, you know. Scrambles free runs off with his eyeball hanging out of his socket, at which point Michael Thoreau uh, gives chase. And as uh, DeFonte Miller's ringing a doorbell in the neighborhood for some help uh, from this attack, he turns around and is bludgeoned in the face with a four-foot metal pole wielded by Michael Thoreau police officer, off-duty cop, at which point, or rather, who doesn't announce himself as a police officer. At no point does he announce that he's a police officer. Stop, you're under arrest. Stop in the name of the law. No, he just beats this kid. I'll say this quickly. Um, 
I believe, unfortunately, DeFonte instigated the situation. DeFonte Miller, the young black man who uh, was severely beaten. He unfortunately, I believe, instigated the situation. The judge sees it that way, you know. He believes that DeFonte Miller was car hopping that night. He believes DeFonte Miller was breaking into the Thoreau family's vehicle. Unfortunately, he instigated the situation. And I believe DeFonte, though he initially said he was just walking down the street when he was accosted, questioned for being in the neighborhood by the Thoreau brothers, I guess he initially said that, but then he later recanted, and it's still kind of hazy, according to some articles I've read. But basically, the judge believes, in all fairness, that DeFonte Miller was car hopping that night, and it seems like the most logical, I don't want to say the most logical, but it seems like the most truthful event of accounts account of events because if that was truly the case I believe DeFonte Miller would be screaming that to the heavens you know like I'm a young black man I was accosted for no reason they beat me for no reason just for walking in the neighborhood like he doesn't continue along with that story you know he takes the gratitude and the fact that you know justice was served and he kind of leaves it at that. But I mean, I don't know. If I were DeFonte Miller and I was 100% innocent, I'd be screaming it to the heavens. Like, I was wrongfully accosted. I was beaten mercilessly, you know, for no reason other than being a young black man. So it's like he kind of... It's pretty much the situation. DeFonte Miller instigated the situation. Though... As a law enforcement officer, as a duo of law enforcement officers, like Michael Thoreau was an off-duty cop, and then Christian Thoreau was like, I don't know, he was in training or something. It was like a cop family, a cop collective. They grossly miscarried justice. You know, two-on-one beat down that left a young man with a broken orbital bone, a broken wrist, a wrist, broken wrist, and the loss of eye, the the blinding of one eye, all for just some measly, not just all for. I won't put it that way. I won't trivialize what happened because you know, unfortunately, Mr. Miller, Defonte Miller, unfortunately, he instigated it. But it's like. What a gross miscarriage of, what a gross um, abuse of power. You know, why couldn't a few, like I could, like, you're being assaulted, you're, 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 your car's being broken into two on one, you're a police officer, you're there to serve and protect. Whatever happens to that ethic, whatever happens to that, that sense of protect, or justice, rather. What what happens to that sense of justice? 
just because you take off your police uniform, you no longer believe in justice. When you're off duty, that's that's when there's injustice. When you're on duty, that's when there's allegedly justice. I mean, why couldn't they just, you know, give him a few well-deserved shots, you know, a couple punches, a couple kicks just to let the little fucker remember? Like, you don't be car hopping in my fucking neighborhood. Give him a few well-deserved shots and then send his ass to court. Justice, right? No, they, they maim him. They disfigure him. And... The issue is, like, somebody with that sort of mind cannot be on a police force. Justice for some or justice for all? To serve and protect or to, you know, serve it up? That type of lack of insight, gross abuse of power, cannot be on a police force. Was it racially motivated? It's hard to tell. Unfortunately, Devontae Miller, from all accounts and from his lack of, um, for from his silence, more or less, socially on the matter, I mean... There, don't, there doesn't seem to be any further mention from DeFonte Miller to his innocence in, in regards to he was purely minding his own business. So unfortunately, it looks like Mr. DeFonte Miller, he did instigate it. Um, but, you know, that sort of abuse of power and just insanity to like almost kill a person for breaking into your car. Why not? You know, why not the proper methods of justice? You know? So that type of mentality just cannot be serving the public. They don't serve the public. They serve nobody. They're self-serving. You know? To serve and protect. Why didn't he announce that he was a police officer? Stop in the name of the law. You're going to jail, buddy. Clap the fucking cuffs on him. Send him to, like, that's a fucking punishment and a half, man. If you, if whenever you get entangled with the court system over something like theft or that is a punishment in itself. Now you are marked. Now you are branded. This person is a thief. There's court proceedings. There's fines. There's a criminal record. There's a real accountability of due process that happens when you are found guilty for breaking and entering you know car hopping i mean that's a punishment in itself why couldn't he just deliver that sort of justice why couldn't he just give him a couple shots to the stomach kick to the back and then okay buddy you're going to jail no nobody would have bitched whine and squawked about that that would just be like collateral damage you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I found him breaking into my car. We wrestled. I punched him a few times, kicked him in the stomach, and then turned him into the cops. I mean, it probably wouldn't have, that probably wouldn't have even entered into court as a factor. It's like, yeah, we were in a scuffle. He was breaking into my property. We had a fight, hit him a few times, and then I slapped the cuffs on him. 
It probably would have just been like a, like I said, collateral damage. It's very unmanning to have your ass beat. Just a few punches to the face and a kick in the stomach. That's very unmanning. And then being put under arrest and set and sent down the proper lines of justice, that's more than punishment. That's more than enough punishment. That's proper justice. That's not what happened here. You know, Michael threw Roe, Christian threw Roe. They abused their power and they, they... It was an overkill, an overstatement, rather. It was a gross injustice. So, hey, I think it's important to factor in all these things in regards to anti, anti-racism, to the protests, where it's like accountability on all sides, you know? Um, yeah. And if we can have that accountability, I think it will have, it will help people to see the clearer picture. And not be so swept up in emotion because it's like, you know, it's like no one's free when others are oppressed. You know, it's got to be justice for all. And everybody has to feel, everyone has the right to be included in a democracy right everybody has that right and instead of misinformation and skirting the issues we need to have these real dialogues and get down to the meat and potatoes of it all even though i'm a pescatarian you know i only eat fish but you know i'm not against getting down to the meat and potatoes of a situation figuring it out and um you know, I'm happy Devontae Miller could have that insight. Um, he gave a beautiful kind of statement, showed some maturity and understanding. Um, he says, from the outside looking in, it might seem a little hopeless, Miller admitted. But from the inside looking out, there is hope for us. There is definitely hope. And I hope that us is in regards to all of us. Because if it isn't, we're just setting ourselves up for hell. Hallelujah. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent June 28th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Yes. Um... You know, plodding along, keeping at it, keeping strong, you know. Hopefully this pandemic shit shall be behind us, you know. Trying to enjoy the best we can. Trying to enjoy the summer the best we can. We gotta stay safe. We gotta stay focused, you know. Hopefully we're at the end of this thing and, um, you know, we'll be able to kick it. Anti-racism protests 2020, hopefully change is coming we can kick it you know hit me up jr.thepodcast at gmail.com connect with me on all platforms itunes spotify youtube um 
Did I mention my website? Jonathan-Ramtran.com? Ah, hell, I don't know. Who knows what I say anyways. All right. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. All right? Peace. Thank <laughs> you.